Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we'll dive into the latest clean jobs and investment numbers for the state of North Carolina as a special update from our friends and partners at E2. For those keeping score at home, our latest episode was number 99, which means we're getting close to 100 episodes of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. And we've got something special in the works for you for episode number 100. But while we're cooking up that episode, We wanted to jump in, in the meantime, to provide you some exciting updates on the clean jobs front in North Carolina. So that'll be the focus of today's bonus episode. And for those that may recall, each year, NCSEA partners with E2 to produce a clean jobs report, aggregating the total number of jobs across the state of North Carolina in all clean energy sectors. And it's that time of year again, in which the numbers are out, and we break down what they mean. Today, we're going beyond the numbers of actual clean jobs reported and currently in place in the state. We're also going to talk about the jobs and investments that have been announced over the past year since the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, and how that bill is fueling significant economic growth in North Carolina and the Southeast. With that, let's jump right into today's episode. Our guest on the podcast is E2's Southeast Advocate and leads E2's work organizing business voices on behalf of climate, clean energy, and other environmental policies in the region, including in Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia. Our guest was previously an advocate on E2's West Coast team, contributing to the organization's business advocacy work in California, Oregon, and Washington State. Prior to joining E2, our guest was a program assistant for the Natural Resources Defense Council and served on the staff of the late U.S. Senator Frank Lautenberg. He calls Western North Carolina home and spends as much of his free time as he can on Western North Carolina trails with his partner. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zach Amitai to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Zach, welcome to the pod. Matt, th- thank you so much. Really excited to be here. You know, been a longtime fan, and I really feel like I'm, I'm officially joining the North Carolina clean energy community by, uh, by joining you here on Squeaky. So very excited. Well, it's, it's been a long time coming. We've been excited to, to have you on to talk about so many of the great things that your team at E2 has been doing this year and working in coordination with the team from NCSEA. This isn't the first time that we've had someone on from E2. We actually have had Bob Keefe on previously, uh, your executive director, to talk about some of the work that we've collaborated on in the past. But for the folks who may be new to E2 overall, do you mind providing a little bit of background of what the organization does and and sharing a little bit more about your role specifically here in North Carolina and the Southeast more broadly? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I'd I'd be happy to. But before we dive in, though, I I do want to just kind of acknowledge that lineage of, of all the speakers who joined for the podcast over the years. Bob Keefe, I think twice previously, but I know you're closing in on 100 episodes. That's an amazing catalog of experts in this space who've, who've joined you and, and helped to shape kind of the policy landscape 
uh, and the political landscape here in North Carolina. And I know it's been a labor of love for you and uh, also for Ben Stockdale, previously of NCSEA before you. So just congratulations on all that hard work. And I hope you can take a second to step back and just appreciate this amazing product that you've, that you've offered the community now for many years. On the subject of E2, my organization, you know, and I'll, I'll be brief on this with recognition that many of your listeners will probably be at least somewhat familiar with us. The idea is to create a platform where business leaders and other business voices can connect directly with policymakers uh, and deliver the economic case for smart climate and clean energy policies. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there who are providing the environmental justification, the ecological justification, the social justification for these policies and investments. But, you know, when E2 started about 20 years ago, there really wasn't any organizations in the landscape focused on the economic message. And of course, over those 20 years, the economic landscape has shifted so dramatically. We've seen so much energy and momentum on the business front building behind a lot of these climate and clean energy technologies. So the landscape has shifted and E2 has shifted somewhat along with it. We started in California and New York, sort of places that you'd expect, sort of cutting edge of the clean energy space, so to speak, back at the turn of the century. But, you know, as these technologies have developed, E2 has expanded geographically to reach into areas where the this clean energy revolution is happening, but perhaps there isn't as much of an ecosystem of groups working in support of forward-thinking and forward-looking policies. And so and here in the Southeast in particular, you know, I really see E2's role as working in collaboration and coordination with the great ecosystem of other groups in this space, and CSEA certainly prime among them, but kind of collectively working to organize business voices across you know, sectors, across sizes of, of companies, across different geographies in the state and in the region, and make sure that those voices are being heard by policymakers. And you know, one thing that we're going to be reflecting on a good deal here during this conversation is the Southeast is quickly proving itself as an epicenter of clean tech manufacturing as part of the boom being driven by the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, from our perspective, it's so important to be raising that story up as frequently and as loudly as possible. You know, the numbers are hugely important, but then also making sure that the individual voices and the individual businesses are getting a chance to speak with policymakers directly and also kind of shape the public narrative around these investments, what they're meaning for communities and what they mean for the future of our economy and our country. And it's quite a bit. I know you all have been wonderful at engaging the voices of local business owners across the state here in North Carolina and connecting them with their elected officials at the North Carolina General Assembly and the federal delegation as well here in North Carolina. So before we talk about the individual voices, you, you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act, and, and we're now just a little bit more than a year removed from the passage of that bill. And E2 has been directly involved in helping to advocate for the passage of that before that happened, the long and, and sort of winding path to getting the Inflation Reduction Act. So at a high level, now that, now that we're more than a year removed from the bill, what have been some of the impacts to date across the economy and the country as a whole as it relates to clean energy? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And you're 100% right about the winding route to success on that bill. There were many moments where we were felt like we were having a you know grasp uh, defeat from the jaws of victory and vice versa. But 
ended up with a really great outcome, although certainly not the ideal outcome, but that's the reality of, of policymaking. And E2 was so proud and, and grateful to play a part in, in that advocacy effort. Certainly, it took not just a village, it took a whole cluster of villages, a, a, a whole network of cities working together to get the Inflation Reduction Act over the finish line. But ET was, was grateful to be a part of that effort. And yet, you know, big picture, you know, we're talking about $370 billion in investments in clean tech and climate solutions over a 10-year period. You know, that's by far the largest climate investment in U.S. history. It's more than four times the climate investments included in the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act in 2009, you know, which catalyzed much of the growth that we've seen in the clean energy sector over the past decade plus, you know, including really starting from practically nothing, enormous growth in utility scale solar and wind, enormous growth in energy efficiency jobs and energy efficiency improvements, electric vehicles, you know, Tesla was supported by a grant from that bill. So, you know, we've already seen enormous uh, economic benefits from the investments in the ARRA. And now here comes along the IRA, which quadruples that. So, you know, the economic impacts of investments at this scale and over this kind of time horizon will take years to kind of fully appreciate and, and fully track. But what we're already beginning to see is the start of, I think, what is, what's fair to call a once-in-a-generation economic revolution. And we're talking tens of billions of dollars in private investment announced in the first 14 months post-IRA alone. And the vast majority of those investments are going towards manufacturing facilities you know, across the clean tech supply chain. And, and, and those investments are going to reshape the fortunes of communities which are disproportionately rural and economically disadvantaged that are going to be serving as host to them. So we're really seeing an economic revolution and we're seeing a lot of the benefits driven to more rural parts of, uh, of our country. The IRA is going to have incalculable impacts across our economy, our country, even the world, uh, you know, from accelerating renewable energy deployment to developing next generation clean technologies to advancing environmental and economic justice. But way high up on that list, in my mind, is the U.S. Uh, utilizing the IRA as a way to stake its claim to a leadership position in clean tech manufacturing. And that is already driving a remarkable wave of onshoring of manufacturing jobs and facilities and will only be growing in the coming months and years, we believe. So on the jobs front, we've already seen this bill accelerate the, the momentum that we have been seeing over the past decade in the clean energy space. I know E2 does a lot of work in, in tracking job growth and investments in the clean energy space across the country in a whole host of states, but but nationwide. So since, since its passage, since the IRA's passage, what has the jobs landscape really looked like across the country here in terms of onshoring of manufacturing and creating new jobs? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the numbers are, are honestly overwhelming. And there was a recognition internally at E2 in the wake of IRA's passage that someone was going to kind of have to take responsibility for tracking all the announcements that the law was going to drive and for trying to tell kind of the comprehensive story around the economic growth that the IRA was going to generate. You know, E2 is certainly not the only organization doing that kind of work, but we sort of took it upon ourselves and are very proud to have carved out the capacity to do that kind of tracking. And we have now built an interactive dashboard 
on our website that is tracking announcements in real time, essentially up to a month delayed, looking at all new large scale clean economy projects announced across the country. And that's you know, from utility scale battery and storage projects to electrical vehicle, solar panel manufacturing facilities, and, and, and much, much more. And through the beginning of October, which is the last time that we updated our numbers, we had tracked over 230 new project announcements across 40 states, totaling nearly $93 billion in investments and forecasting nearly 83,000 clean economy jobs. So, you know, again, $93 billion over the course of 14 months, 83,000 new clean economy jobs announced over 14 months. I mean, we're really, you know, when, when I talked about economic revolution before, this is really what, you know, underpins that position. And I think an important thing to keep in mind here is, you know, those numbers are comprehensive insofar as large scale announcements in clean energy manufacturing and, and, and power generation and research and development. But what is not included in that picture are the countless small and mid-sized companies and businesses in energy efficiency, in rooftop solar installation, uh, in et cetera, et cetera, who are experiencing already enormous growth driven by passage of the IRA. You know, that $93 billion in investments, that 83,000 jobs, that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. And looking at the economy as a whole, which unfortunately nobody is able to track you know, very effectively at this moment, we're probably talking you know, many times over those numbers. Part of the work that we're doing is trying to lift those individual voices so they can talk about the, the, the growth that they're experiencing at their small and mid-sized company level. All right. So let's, let's dive in and talk more specifically about North Carolina and the Southeast. Has our state seen its fair share of this investment since the passage of the IRA? And are there specific sectors that we've seen especially more investments in than others in the clean energy field? Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that the Southeast is emerging as the definitive regional winner in sort of the uh, competition for investments driven by the Inflation Reduction Act. North Carolina has certainly claimed more than its fair share of these IRA-driven investments. North Carolina is tied for seventh among all states with 10 projects announced through the beginning of October. And those projects total nearly $10 billion in private investments. North Carolina is behind some of our other Southeast neighbors. South Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia are all a little bit ahead of us as far as total announcements. But all of those states are in the top 10, and the Southeast regionally is truly leading the pack in, in these investments. And then, you know, on the subject of sectors, I will say North Carolina's announced investments are pretty evenly distributed across sectors. We are seeing a particular emphasis in the EV space, especially if you think about the entire EV ecosystem actually producing or manufacturing the vehicles, manufacturing the batteries that go into the vehicles or the processing the lithium that will go into the batteries, of course, manufacturing the EV charging infrastructure. All of that has been announced in North Carolina, so certainly seeing a lot of activity in that space, but not at all to the exclusion of kind of the other sectors within the clean energy and clean tech economy. So how do these investments position our state and region in the energy transition in the long run, especially when we think about the transition to electric vehicles and where the auto manufacturing industry is moving. 
what role is our region going to play moving forward in transportation and electricity generation moving forward? Yeah, I think it's really clear that the Southeast is going to be playing a leading role in this transition and particularly as kind of the manufacturing hub for this transition. And there's enormous tailwinds for North Carolina and the Southeast, you know, especially with these investments continuing to come in. You know, and part of North Carolina's strength in this coming transition, or honestly, this underway transition, is the fact that we have already experienced and continue to experience a diversity of investments across the clean economy supply chain, as I was just reflecting on. So it's not as if all of our state's investments are in one sector, but they're spread out pretty evenly. And it really means that, you know, from the rare earth minerals coming out of the ground to the electric vehicles coming off the assembly line, North Carolina sort of has all that ground covered. And then if you zoom out a little bit and think about what else is going on in the Southeast with solar panel manufacturing, with offshore wind turbine manufacturing, with uh, battery uh, and storage technology development, with recycling technologies being developed in the region, we've really captured pretty much every element of the clean energy space in these in this new slate of announcements for the for the region. All right, so let's let's hone in a little bit more and and talk about jobs. So you've mentioned some pretty Im- impressive investment numbers here within the state and in the region, but how does that translate to actual jobs either produced or announced moving forward? Uh, I know and and as I mentioned at the top of the the conversation that NCSEA and E2 have partnered on producing a clean jobs report for for North Carolina, showcasing just how many people work in the clean energy economy across our state. So where do we currently sit and how do those numbers break out by sector? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Thanks for the question. And, you know, this is kind of where we have to set aside some of the IRA numbers that we were just reflecting on, because a lot of that is forecasting jobs in the future. And where we'll focus our energy on in this conversation is really uh, existing jobs that have been tracked that we know are on the ground. So, you know, as we have this conversation, I just encourage you and our listeners to keep in mind, we're expecting an enormous influx of additional jobs in North Carolina and across the country, driven by the Inflation Reduction Act, but those jobs aren't quite showing up, at least not in full form in the job tracking numbers that we release on an annual basis. So, so with that caveat, happy to give a little bit of a picture on where things stand in North Carolina right now. And you know, particularly excited to be talking about these numbers because E2 and NCSEA and potentially other partners plan on releasing this, the, these numbers uh, in our annual fact sheet at the end of October, or right around the Making Energy Work Conference that NCSEA is hosting, that we're very excited to be a part of, but certainly a timely discussion to be diving into these numbers. And these numbers are up to date through the end of 2022. These numbers are always a little bit delayed, just given the amount of time that it takes to do the surveying and do the data analysis to, to, to generate, to calculate these figures. But um, certainly gives us uh, as close to up-to-date a picture as we can for the clean economy as a whole in North Carolina. So, and what we're looking at is over 105,000 clean energy jobs here in the state, 105,370 to be exact, and breaking those down into kind of the respective sectors. Energy efficiency, always kind of the, the workhorse of the clean energy economy, tr- truly you know, generating most of the jobs in the space. And we saw 78,000 plus energy efficiency jobs in North Carolina. And then renewable energy generation almost always comes in second. 
We saw over 12,500 jobs in renewable energy generation in the state, uh, over 9,000 jobs in the clean vehicle space. And again, with all these recent announcements from the IRA, we can expect that number to increase dramatically in the coming years, but, but 9,000 and 49 jobs as of the end of 2022. And then the last two sectors that we dive into are grid and storage, which saw just a shade under 4,000 jobs, uh, 3,857. And then last but not least uh, is biofuels. And that was 1,500 jobs, 1,520 to be exact. So that's kind of the overall picture. And of course, there's subsectors within each of those sectors, but that gives you kind of a general sense for uh, the balance of jobs within our clean energy economy and kind of where the total stands these days. How has that number grown since the last report? And have we fully rebounded since uh, some of the losses we saw in the clean energy economy as a result of, of the pandemic now, you know, to help contextualize, right, we saw every every sector across the economy down over the pandemic period, but have we fully rebounded in the clean energy sector since that period in time? And, and have we grown even since last year? Yeah, great, great questions, Matt. I'll, I'll speak to the, to the COVID rebound first. For North Carolina in particular, we have made back the vast majority of the jobs lost as a result of, of the pandemic. I will say that in some states, they have rebounded fully and then some, and the country as a whole is essentially back where it was right before the pandemic. So North Carolina is not leading the pack in job recovery in the clean energy space, but we're still seeing a robust you know, bounce back in jobs here in our state. So that certainly demonstrates the resiliency of, of the clean energy economy and, 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 and shows that even with those kind of headwinds uh, economically that continue to persist, right, with supply chain issues, with sort of issues with rising interest rates and the difficulties that that presents for companies and, and households. Uh, we're still seeing really steady and, and robust growth in the clean energy space. Year over year for North Carolina, we saw a growth rate of 1.8%. And, you know, I think on the whole, we have a really great story to tell about the clean energy economy here in our state. But I will say that that's one of the more disappointing and, in my mind, the more important findings of this report to hold up. You know, that 1.8% growth is slower than North Carolina's economy as a whole and is slower than North Carolina's energy economy as a whole. So if you zoom out and look outside of clean energy to you know, conventional, traditional forms of energy and, and the jobs that that generates, clean energy was slower than that and also uh, the economy across the board. And North Carolina, you know, we for many years now have boasted a top 10 ranking for clean energy jobs across the country. We're ninth currently. That's second among all Southeast states. We're only behind Florida, but our growth rate does not compare favorably to other states uh, in the top 10 or top 15. And I think it just demonstrates the fact that, you know, there's, there's a lot of contributing factors here, but North Carolina made some amazing headway in, in growing its clean energy economy, you know, five, 10 maybe years ago. And we are in some ways kind of riding the momentum of that growth and those early investments. But we are seeing that starting to slow gradually, and we are seeing as a result, you know, states that have ranked below us previously, climbing closer towards us. We're seeing our growth rate slow relative to other states, uh, which I think is just an indication of the fact that there's a lot of untapped potential here in North Carolina and more that we can do to ensure that North Carolina kind of maintains its, its leadership role in clean energy employment.
Yeah, and and to to dive into a little bit more detail there as well, you know, I, I've talked with some folks on the podcast about this previously, but thinking back to around the 2017 timeframe in which House Bill 589 was passed and and really shifted the landscape for utility scale solar here in North Carolina, where you know North Carolina had grown to number two in solar across the country, just behind California. And when that bill passed, it really changed how the state kind of approached utility scale solar development, slowing that down pretty dramatically to the point where we've now been surpassed by other states like Florida and Texas. And you mentioned Florida now, right, being one of those leaders in in clean job growth moving forward. But one of the areas, you know, I think we're going to be continuing to look at here at NCSEA and amongst our, our network of partners is how do we really continue that momentum and growth in the utility scale solar space, especially as it relates to things like the carbon plan proceedings and the the near term uh, deployment goals with solar and storage. But also, you know, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, there's there's a little bit of a delay between the actual announcements that we've seen, you know, fueled by the IRA in manufacturing with clean vehicles, et cetera, that have yet to hit those numbers. Uh, in which we might start to see that that growth really pick back up, but a shift from where we've seen it in some of the more traditional renewable sectors like solar and seeing that shift to auto manufacturing or battery manufacturing here within the state. So, you know, a lot taking place, but obviously things that we're going to want to keep on the radar so that we're not only projecting and continuing to move forward clean vehicle manufacturing, but also continuing to really ramp back up uh, solar and traditional renewable growth as well at the same time. So you had mentioned, you know, some of these sort of interregional comparisons between North Carolina and and some other states. How does just when you look, take a step back and look at the numbers as a whole, you know, how does North Carolina rank within the region and nationally for clean jobs? Yeah, and and thank you so much for kind of providing that additional context, Matt. I, th- I think that's so important to keep in mind. And it is as we as we think about the energy transition and this economic uh, evolution and revolution happening, there are kind of phases, right? Sort of utility scale solar and wind led the charge early on, and now we're seeing it sort of expand into additional sectors. And, and so it is this kind of balancing act of how do we ensure continued growth and support for the sectors that sort of establish the foundation for the clean energy economy and then also make North Carolina an attractive place uh, for investments in sort of the next generation of technologies and, and deployment. And, you know, in, in that sense, things are looking pretty hopeful for North Carolina. I, I reflected that, you know, the clean energy economy growth for the state across the economy was 1.8% year over year. But, you know, for electric vehicles in the clean vehicles sector, we saw nearly an 8% growth year over year. And another sector of the clean energy space that is growing and we expect to continue to grow robustly in the coming years, storage. And we saw a growth rate of nearly 10% in storage jobs in North Carolina year over year. So we're certainly already starting to see those signs of those sectors, uh, you know, establishing a, a real foothold in, in North Carolina and bringing substantial jobs along with them. But to your point, with these announcements from uh, companies uh, driven by the Inflation Reduction Act and also, you know, broader global and international market forces that are 
creating additional demand for decarbonization and climate solutions and clean energy solutions, there's certainly a lot of tailwinds here. And and in my mind, the, the question is really, what can North Carolina do to try and attract as much of that growth that is going to be happening across the country? How can we attract as much of it as possible to our state and also accrue the benefits economically for businesses, for households that come along with making this transition in a strategic uh, way. And so, so to your question about uh, where our state ranks regionally, l- like I reflected on uh, just a little bit before, we are second behind Florida. So we're in a really strong place regionally. Florida has a decent lead on us. Florida is around 150,000 clean energy jobs right now. So whether or not we're going to be able to catch them in the near future, I feel like isn't necessarily the, 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 the important question to ask. It's more about making sure that North Carolina continues to grow in a way that our clean energy force is a driving force for economic growth in our state. We still are ahead of Virginia, if you consider that the Southeast, although uh, they're just a couple of slots behind us, uh, as well as South Carolina and Georgia and Tennessee and others. But when you compare growth rates that's where North Carolina does not look as favorable to its Southeast partners. You know, Florida, for example, uh, 150,000 clean jobs, they still grew about 5% year over year. And we're seeing similar growth rates in a lot of the other Southeast states. So I think to me, that's just a reminder and an indication for our state and our policymakers that the conditions are clearly right here for growth in the clean energy space. What can or should we be doing or exploring to try and capture that growth. And, you know, something that I think I have been preaching for, for a while is, is public policy is really a lever to accelerate growth in markets. And we've seen that here in North Carolina with things like the Renewable Energy Portfolio Standard, the State Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit, um, our, our state's interpretation of PURPA, all of these things that really fueled the growth of of solar here in North Carolina, as we, as we look beyond, you know, some of those policies that have been put into place here in our state that have created such monumental growth, what, what are some of the additional policies on the horizon yet to be passed from both the national and state side that E2 foresees as, as fueling additional growth in clean jobs that that's still on the table? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll start at the federal level, kind of looking at it from that perspective. Although I, I do think that state and regional action is is essential here. And there's there's a lot uh, of opportunity in that space from E2's perspective. And I think I speak for NCSEA as well when I say that. But, but federally, you know, the next step in our mind, you know, again, IRA representing unprecedented investment in climate and clean energy solutions. But it's still not to the scale that we need if we're trying to meet decarbonization goals of you know, net zero by 2050 and different goals kind of between now and then. So we've got very ambitious goals and our policy framework at the federal level right now is not going to be driving those goals in of itself. Other places where we see uh, opportunity at the federal level are standards for some of the largest emitters, industrial scale in our economy. So that could be standards to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and other dangerous pollution from power plants and other kind of primary sources of of pollution. That can be federal standards for fuel efficiency uh, for our vehicles from, you know, light duty all the way through trucks and, and vans, light, medium and heavy. 
And we think those kind of federal standards can sort of establish a baseline that will dictate economic decisions uh, by companies in regions across the country. So that's kind of the beauty of the federal policies is it, it establishes that baseline and those really big picture standards that companies and communities and states can can make their own planning decisions around. And, and we think those kind of steps are enormously important. And then at the, at the state level, I mean, there's so many di- different directions that we could go in. I think one really, really important part of the discussion that I see enormous opportunity in is investing in the future of the workforce. You know, we've got all these new forms of uh, manufacturing facilities, onshoring. We've got an enormous amount of jobs announced. But the question is, do we have the, the, the skills in the workforce as it currently exists to adequately fill those jobs? And ideally, you know, with the right kind of workforce policies and investments in place, that can also serve as an opportunity, an economic opportunity for individuals, from disadvantaged communities, just from disadvantaged parts of the state who have previously kind of been overlooked or been left behind by manufacturing facilities historically being removed from uh, rural communities, that sort of example, or uh, BIPOC communities who just haven't seen as much economic opportunity across the board and have been more subject to environmental injustices and local air pollution. So I think workforce can sort of serve two really, really important roles. One is ensuring that we've got the skilled workforce necessary to be producing all these uh, new manufacturing uh, products and deploying all these technologies and continuing to advance the clean energy economy. And the other is kind of bringing greater economic justice and environmental justice into our local communities and, and providing opportunity for folks across our state. You know, other opportunities here in North Carolina, I think North Carolina has a real opportunity to establish itself as one of the leading states for offshore wind development for the eastern seaboard. So I think exploring what investments we can make in port infrastructure, again, in workforce development uh, and incentives to attract companies in the offshore wind and wind uh, supply chains could pay enormous dividends uh, for our our state uh, in the long term. And then, you know, you referenced earlier, Matt, the, uh, the North Carolina Carbon Plan and the very ambitious targets established in that plan. But of course, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is there's a lot of uncertainty on exactly how we're going to meet those targets. And I think approaching that process, thinking of renewable energy uh, generation and energy efficiency as our first stop for solutions to meet those targets I think could uh, could take us a, a very far away and in, in, in continue to make progress and grow the clean energy economy here in North Carolina. And another thing that you know I know a lot of organizations are exploring and policymakers are exploring is potential marketplace reforms for utility scale energy generation and distribution to see if we can just bring a little bit more competition to the market, which studies demonstrate you know will generate savings for ratepayers and also will drive greater deployment and development of renewable sources here in North Carolina. So I'm glad that you brought back up the the carbon plan, as I think that area is especially important for our state to help develop the right signals that we are ready to deploy those technologies here in a timely fashion that would then incentivize or encourage manufacturers to set up shop and make those investments here in the state if they were to know that 
they would be able to deploy more turbines or deploy more um, utility scale solar farms or storage facilities here within the state. So it's really important, you know, I would encourage everyone here that's listening into this podcast to stay tuned to what's going on with the carbon plan proceedings as the details of that get hashed out over the next six months, because that's really going to set the regulatory signals for what's going to be happening here in North Carolina over the next 10 years, which will then help to create those waves of investments that kind of follow what's been authorized by the commission in terms of generation technologies being deployed. Uh, I want to wrap us up and, and thank you, Zach, for all of your expertise and insight that you bring to the conversation and all of the work that your team at E2 is doing to track clean jobs across the country, track investments as a result of the IRA, and bring that data and insight to help us make informed policy decisions moving forward in states like North Carolina. So, Zach, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Matt, thank you so much. You know, the work would not be possible with partners, and we're just so grateful for you, for NCSEA, for the whole ecosystem here in North Carolina, uh, for joining us in this work, and excited to keep it moving forward and, and, and grateful for your partnership as we do this. You heard it here. North Carolina is fast growing to be a hub for clean energy manufacturing and especially clean vehicle manufacturing is fueled by policies like the Inflation Reduction Act. Since the IRA, we heard Zach mention the state has seen nearly $10 billion in announced investments, which will help accelerate the growth of our 105,000 plus clean jobs sector in the state. And as Zach mentioned, we have a lot of regional and national competition in terms of jobs growth. So it's important that we all here continue to push the needle forward on state level policy and regulation to create the market signals necessary for companies to further invest and expand here in the state moving forward. That's especially true when you think about the current carbon plan proceeding taking place at the North Carolina Utilities Commission, set to create the near-term path forward for the electricity generation technologies on the ground here in the state. So stay tuned for updates on those proceedings and more in future episodes to see how they could potentially correlate to additional jobs in next year's Clean Jobs Update. All right, and that's all for today's episode. Have ideas for future episodes or a future burning clean energy question you want to see covered? Send me a note at mattable at energync.org. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider contributing or sponsoring today to help ensure we can continue to bring you great content like today's episode. Sponsorship opportunities and more can be found at energync.org forward slash the squeaky clean energy podcast. And this episode of the podcast is in the books, but before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.